And I want you to help me welcome Pastor uh, Amelia, who will be coming to give us a word this morning. Come on up, Amelia. Thank you, Mike. Good morning. My name is Amelia, and I'm so glad that you're here today on Mother's Day Sunday. So, <clears throat> as a tribute to mothers, I want to share a story with some of, that some of you mothers can relate to, and probably fathers too. Um, one day, I bought a cake, a nice round cake. I thought it would be nice to have a cake for desserts something that I and my two children can enjoy for the next several days. However, on the first evening, one of my children went away for a sleepover, which is a fun thing to do for a child, right? So that evening, I and my other child each enjoy a slice of the cake for dessert. The next day, this child came back from the sleepover. After dinner that evening, I asked, who wants cake? And both my kids enthusiastically said, me, me. And this was when the trouble started. <laughs> I guess you can guess. So the child who had the sleepover said to their sibling, you're not going to have cake today because you already had one. I haven't. And of course, the other child said, but you had a sleepover. I did not. Does this sound familiar to you? Do you understand the situation here? Cake is a good thing. I bought a cake so that we all could enjoy it and have a good time. I did not want to cause any trouble. Now, there may be an interesting explanation to this. So a study by the University of Warwick and Cardiff University in the UK has found that money only makes people happier if it improves their social rank. The researchers found that simply being highly paid wasn't enough. To be happy, people must perceive themselves as being more highly paid than their friends and colleagues. Let me clarify this. The study actually revealed that earning a million dollars a year appears to not be enough to make you happy. If you know your friends all earn $2 million, what's wrong with us? Because one child knows that the other child will have their second slice of cake that evening, the cake no longer feels good. It's not because the cake doesn't taste good. It's not because this child doesn't like cake but because we humans have a tendency to nitpick on the negative, on the discrepancies, on the injustice, on the lack. And this, what we call negativity bias, often causes us to lose sight of the big picture. If we don't watch out for ourselves, if we do not secure our portion of the cake, who will? We easily become competitive or jealous or greedy. We may start taking, taking more than what we need, maybe even taking portions meant for other people. We may overspend or take on too much debt. 
It can lead to bankruptcy and even strained relationships. And think about the anxiety, the emotional and mental burden, and possibly physical ailments too that come from the stress of not having enough or not doing enough or not earning enough. This does not sound like a good life, right? It doesn't sound like life in all its fullness. So every now and then, we refer to the event that happened in the very beginning. In the book of Genesis, the Garden of Eden was described as a good place where people, God, and nature live in perfect harmony. A place filled with trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. But then the serpent came, and he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What a crafty little snake, <laughs> right? The Garden of Eden was abundant with delicious fruits that God had provided for people. And yet, this was the one tree that the serpent wanted us to pay attention to. Because that's how the seed of doubt was sown. The serpent was basically saying that God is not to be trusted. You will not die. God is withholding something good from you. The seed of doubt grew into a narrative of mistrust and betrayal, a narrative that caused us a lot of trouble. First, Adam and Eve realized that they were naked. I mean, they've always been naked, right? But now suddenly they were ashamed because judgment came, and they started judging themselves as weak, ugly, and not enough. Secondly, they hid from God. People and God used to have a deep and intimate friendship. But now, a break came into their relationship. And thirdly, people began to blame each other too. Adam blamed Eve for giving him the fruit, and Eve blamed the serpent. We no longer trust each other. So the seed of doubt grew into narratives and become a reality. Even life in the Garden of Eden, no longer felt good. Once we believe that God was not for us. And throughout history, we continue to believe and live in such a narrative. About 45 days after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of nearly 400 years of slavery, the Israelites began to grumble. If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Now, as a mother, I understand hangry. 
hunger and angry. This is a type of ailment that skew our perspective and make us rather dramatic. These people just witnessed 10 plagues that fell on the Egyptians because Pharaoh would not let them go. They witnessed the river Nile turn to red. They witnessed insects that uh, came seemingly out of nowhere and destroyed the crops of the Egyptians. The sky turned dark for three days. Even the Red Sea split open for them to walk across and flee from the chase of Pharaoh's army. God moved heavens and earth to liberate them out of slavery. How much more needed to happen for the Israelites to believe that God really took care of them? That there was nothing that God would not do for them. Just like Adam and Eve, the Israelites only needed one reason, to slip into the serpent's narrative. But God's response to their grumble was really interesting. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on a desert floor. Moses said, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. God did not just rain foot down from heaven, you know, like candy-filled piñata. I've been to many children's birthday parties, so I've seen the chaos that happened when lots and lots of candy just fell to the ground. And that's not what's happening here. Along with the food, God was also establishing a new system. You may say a new economy where everyone had enough. 
Some traditions believe that this time in the desert, which was about 40 years, was a form of punishment for Israelite stubbornness and lack of faith. However, this story impresses me rather differently. Let me explain. The idea of receiving something without earning them, without the pain and the struggle, must feel foreign to the Israelites who had been in forced labor, who had been oppressed as slaves for nearly 400 years. Many of you knew that I grew up in Indonesia, or else was known as the Dutch East Indies, a colony of the Dutch for 350 years. Although it has been more than 77 years since our independence, the trauma of suppression, forced labor, sexual exploitation, and other forms of abuse continued to psychologically impact our people, even today. Contributing to issues such as feeling of powerlessness and low self-esteem, internalized racism and injustice, as well as the sense of loss in identity and cultural dislocation. So I imagine that it must be very disorienting for the Israelites to be in the desert after living under slavery for many, many, many generations, not having land to call home, trying to rediscover their identity and learning again about who God is. To break the intergenerational trauma, there has to be a radical change in the system. God was not just providing food. Through manna, God was making God's self known to the people. Notice the passage says earlier, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. When we have been trained or forced to focus on productivity and performance, when we are used to laboring, even sacrificing, receiving unconditionally can be hard. There was no way of earning mana or God's favor. It was free for everyone. And it was faithfully delivered right outside their tents every morning. This God was unlike the gods of the Egyptians of the ancient times. This God showed us that God's gifts have nothing to do with us or what we do. That God's gift is about God. About who God is. Nothing was required of you. In other words, unconditional love. When our minds are filled with fear and insecurities about tomorrow, about our children, about our social or economic position, we adopt a warped sense of reality. In this new economy, the mana economy, God had removed all reasons for anxiety. Greed was not fulfilled. Nobody was getting more or less, no matter how hard they tried. 
God was teaching people to have enough, to feel enough, and to be enough. Like a branch connected to the vine, connected to the source, you're always enough. You will always have enough. Never excessive, never lacking, always the perfect amount. Religion tells us to keep Sabbath, but I wonder if Sabbath keeps us. In the Bible, God was very protective about Sabbath. God sanctified it and called it holy. There are strict laws and boundaries in regard to Sabbath observance. It almost feels like these were designed to protect rest for us so that we may prioritize rest, even consider rest as sacred. An interesting God, right? This God was not like all the other gods in ancient times. This God wanted no sacrifice. This God wanted us to rest. And this idea of a full day of rest must have also been foreign to slaves who were likely expected to work endlessly. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, and if you honor it by not going your own way, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. So when we take a break from doing things our own way, out of anxiety and security, when we take a break from all the competitions and the comparing and the measuring up, I'm confident that life will feel much better. We would feel more content and maybe live more peacefully with one another. Kind of like, what? You had a cake yesterday? Here's another one for you. Wouldn't that be wonderful to hear? Through mana, God is teaching us how to live with our brothers and sisters again, with one another. There are some practical things we can learn from this story, from the training that God's people endured in the desert, being rehabilitated from slavery to freedom in the new land. Number one, remember God's narrative that God desires good things for you and that God can be trusted. We too need to be liberated from the serpent's narrative. Research shows that negative events have up to four times more impacts than the good ones. This means it is not only easier to notice the negative event, but it also has lingering effects. However, in general, the indicators of human well-being are moving up. Life is getting better and is good in many ways. So we don't want to lose sight of the garden. We don't want to lose sight of all the delicious things that God has provided for us because of one tree. So before we get too focused on our problem, 
on that one negative condition, my practical suggestion is to take a step back and ask questions like, what else is in my garden? What is my mana for the day? How does God provide rest for me in this time? This does not mean dismissing our negative feelings. It simply means refocusing so that we don't lose sight of our garden and appreciate it. We can always control the condition and environment, but we can choose the narratives that we want to nurture. Number two, practice easy gratitude. Now, if you're like me, gratitude is not always easy. It takes a lot of practice. So, we may want to start with something easy, something simple, something unconditional, kind of like mana. For example, fresh air or being able to take a deep breath anywhere and any time that you need it. Or the sunlight, how it comes faithfully every day without my effort at all. The songs of the birds in the morning is a free live show. The smell of wet grass, grass after rain. The silly walk of an old dog or laughter of children in the playground. There is always enough mana for us every day. When we are connected to the source, to God, life happens through us, not to us. So well-being is here. We just need to find ways to let it flow through us. And this is how we become co-creators of our reality, co-creators of a good life. Thank you.